0: Welcome to the Sunday Sermons podcast. It was recorded on a Sunday morning at Morrison Hill Christian Church in Kingston, Tennessee. Our prayers that the truths and strategies presented in this message will equip you to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. Once again, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, this is a special day, um, not just because it's the fifth day in our seven-week series, uh, that's may or may not be special to anybody but you i'm having a good time but this is the first day of advent and all around uh, the world there are churches who are celebrating this one of the things i love about morrison hill is that we come from such a diverse background we have people who come from catholic churches people who come from a whole variety of protestant churches and depending on where you grew up and how your church treated advent you may be thinking what what's Advent? Or you may be going, wow, they are really casual about this thing at Morrison Hill. Uh, we're probably all somewhere in the middle. But, but here's the thing. Um, this is just a, a thing. That, it's a very old tradition. It's a very beautiful thing that just trying to focus at this season as we approach Christmas time to make sure that we remember uh, everything, that we prepare our hearts. It's just like the spiritual disciplines that we're working through. It's not one that was created by Jesus himself. So the ones that Jesus himself created were the Lord's Supper and Baptism. But, but the ones that, that we create um, that help us connect with God, that help us connect with other people, help us connect with our own hearts and souls on a deeper level, hey, if it really does all of those things, it's a pretty good idea. So this morning we've already lit the first Advent candle. It represents hope and it represents all the promises that God made leading up to Jesus' coming. And if you would, we're going to do things just a little bit different. this morning. I'd like you to stand as we read this passage from Isaiah together, and then we'll keep on going. This is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2, 6, and 7. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice, the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Amen. Thank you. If you would, go ahead and have a seat again. Get comfortable, but please don't go to sleep. What we're dealing with today is very, very important. As we go through now, we're going to be looking at the fifth of the seven deadly sins, which is wrath. And once again, it's so important that we don't get distracted by what we think it is, by by all of the broken and counterfeit versions of it that's in our own lives, in our own world, that we start and see what God himself says about it. We see what the prototype was. See, wrath in and of itself is not a sin. And that's where we've got to start to understand why the sin part of it is so wrong. Wrath in and of itself is actually something that is part of God's nature. But God's wrath is totally different than human wrath. God's wrath is patient. It's strategic. It's controlled. And God's wrath always results in justice and transformation. When he when he acts in wrath, when he finally lets it loose, he does it at exactly the right time and exactly the right way, and changes happen. Things get fixed. Like everything else in all creation, in one way or another, it's rooted in his character and in his will, but it's not all about him. His wrath is sacrificial, not selfish. Noah and the rest of the man who were talking about that this morning, especially with that very first song and the introduction to that, that Jesus himself took the penalty for us, but that was not because wrath didn't have to happen. It was because God is also such a sacrificial and unselfish person that even when he is administering his wrath, there is love, there is grace, there is joy. Human wrath, however, always misses the mark. And that's, very, that's actually the very definition of the word sin. The most commonly translated word that we translate as sin is hamartia. I know you love Greek. I know everybody's like, oh, yeah, he's talking Greek again. But, but that's actually an archery term, and it just means missing the mark. And, and part of what God hates about all sins is because he knows what could happen if we hit the bullseye. He knows what could happen if we put every single arrow in our quiver focused on what he's set out there before us. He knows what could happen if we got it right. And when we miss, even just a little bit, it breaks his heart. And when we don't even try and we shoot in the opposite direction, he knows what that's going to do. And that's why he hates it so badly. But our wrath always misses the mark. Human wrath is impatient, not patient. Our Human wrath is not strategic, it's reactionary. It's out of control. And it always makes things worse instead of better. It's the exact opposite of God's wrath. Our wrath, when we finally let it out, just makes us look like fools and just rips everything to shreds. I hope this verse is very familiar. We've looked at this several times the last couple of weeks. This is intentional. All of these manifestations of our sinful nature that we call the seven deadly sins, every single one of them is just part, they're all tied together because they're all rooted in our rebellion against God, against our desire to somehow counterfeit what he has created to be perfect. But James 4 says this, what is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. One thing that really confuses a lot of people, especially a lot of skeptics, is the idea that God commanded us not to kill, and yet he also commanded us to kill in certain ways. Situations, For example, in the, in the Ten Commandments, one of them is often translated, thou shalt not kill, or you may not kill, or something like that. And then at the same time, right there in the Old Testament, there's several times where God himself kills people. He commands his people to practice capital punishment. He sends them into war. This really doesn't make a lot of sense if we look at it from the perspective of human wrath. If we see God as this little two-year-old that just gets mad and then just loses it and says, fine, I'm just going to kill you all. We're missing everything about who God is and how his wrath actually works. And, and, and that's why it seems so wrong to us. But when we start from where he is, see, in, in, the, in the Ten Commandments, what he actually says is, you may not murder. You may not take the God's rolling this out. You cannot just say, hey, you know what? I am so angry about this, I am taking you out of the game. I don't care what God says. I don't care what you think. I don't care about your family. I don't care the consequences. I am so angry right now, your life is over. I'm taking care of that problem. That's a completely different thing than the actual physical act of killing in and of itself. And and again, that that, that sounds really technical, but but it's true. We've got to understand it. When we get that idea, when we get that what God hates is human wrath, not killing in and of itself, the rest of this stuff makes sense. Especially what Jesus said when he said, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with their brother is in danger of the fire of hell. Why? Because it's the anger. He actually explains it in that. It's the anger. It's it's letting that seethe inside of us. Oh man, I'm going to take care of that. He is not going to get away with that. She is not going to go free after she did that to me. When we let that just percolate in us, that does the same damage to us and often to our whole relationship as actually murdering someone would. That's why God hates it so much. Galatians, Five, Paul writes this, don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. If you were here last week, we kind of wrapped up with talking about the Scrooge a little bit and the idea of the past and present and future. Let me just call back to that really quick because I want you to really watch that in these next couple verses. We have to live to find the best possible meaning in the present. We've got to live fully embracing and acknowledging what Jesus has already done who he's already made us, that fact that his spirit lives inside of us, that he has redeemed us. Once we were not a people, now we are the people of God. Once we were his enemies, now we are his friends and his children. He's already done that in the past. And we've got to own that in the future that Jesus is coming back and that everything that leads up to that moment is, is matters because that's going to be how this whole thing wraps up and we've got to be preparing and that's how we live in the present. So all throughout the scripture, as you, as you see these things, you're saying, this is already done. The stuff that only Jesus could take care of, he's already taken care of. And yet, because of that, make sure you do this. Because you have the Holy Spirit in you, You must choose every single day to do this. You must choose every day to not do this. Because God has redeemed you, you have to live this way. Because God has redeemed you, you may no longer live this way. Watch for all of that swirling around as we look at these passages. It's the same passage, just keep on going, Galatians 5. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Listen, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Once again, we act our faith. We build our lives on Christ Jesus' teaching. We choose every day to live as his children. And one of the very clear things that has to happen for this to be a reality in our lives is we've got to break free from human wrath. It's not okay for us to live and say, you know what, I'm just an angry person. You know, I I just have a a short fuse, you know. Some things just bother me a lot. Ah, sorry about that. That's just one of my pet peeves. You, You know, that... I I don't mean to say those words. It's just, you know, we're all human beings. What can I say? When when we justify something that God hates, when we justify something that is a parody and a counterfeit of something that God himself and only God himself has a right to do, it messes everything up. This is, we see this in Jesus though. I I love the story of how he resurrected Lazarus. You see him being so patient. You see him not caring at all about his reputation. When they come and ask him for help, he knows what needs to happen. He knows this is going to be a resurrection, not a healing. And so he waits. And, and even though it's breaking his heart... Uh, even though he, he loved Lazarus, Lazarus was one of his best friends. In this story, you, you see him waiting several days before he gets there. And then he gets there and he sees mourners. And it's this it's in, all in John 11, and you should read the whole story. But when he gets there, it says that when he saw the mourning happening, one of the most famous things that we always quote is that Jesus wept. That was right at the moment right, right, right. He, he wept. But it also says in verse 33 that a deep, Anger welled up inside of him. doesn't make a lot of sense if you realize if you just think about, well, why didn't he just go earlier? But what Jesus is angry about is this is not how it was supposed to be. There shouldn't have been death in the first place. There shouldn't have been mourning in the first place. This is not how this is supposed to be. God's wrath is all about trying to put things. Right, it's trying to fix things. So when we talk about trying to embrace the wrath of God but break free of our own, we're not talking about what Dallas Willard calls the gospel of sin management. In other words, where we just look at these lists of to-dos and to-don'ts and try try to be good boys and girls. This is something totally different. We're digging deep into the heart of God. We're using the spiritual disciplines and anything else we can think of to actually connect with Him on such a deep level that we start to feel the way He feels about things. That a deep anger wells up inside of us about the things that make him angry. And a deep anger wells up inside of us against something that, that is in us that makes him angry. And that fuels the fire so that we can actually make the changes that need to happen. That we allow ourselves to stop being so petty and instead we get free to actually care about the things he cares about. disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Once again, we see Jesus, he already was God. He already was divine. And yet he had to go through this process of earning the ultimate authority. I I, I can't explain it all to you, but I can tell you that it's consistent throughout Scripture. Even when it looks like it's conflicting, it conflicts in the same ways all throughout the whole book. God's vision is always so similar. It always works somehow or another. And we see this in Jesus' example, and we see it now. He has changed us, and yet we have to change. He has made us new, and yet we have to choose to act in new ways. We have to choose to act in the wrong ways. How many here like video games? Anybody like video games? Come on. I, I know there's more over there. I actually like video games. It's, I, 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 there's, it's not my favorite thing in the whole world, but I actually really do enjoy them. And how many remember, this is going to date some of us. How many remember when video games first came out back in the 80s and stuff? And, Yeah, okay. Remember back then, there were only really two ways that you could beat a game. One was you put in endless amounts of time and quarters at an arcade. You, you remember this? Like forever and ever. There was no possible way you could beat this game, any game ever, when it first came out. You couldn't just put one quarter in and... If you were lucky, the game would have more than just one life, maybe two or three lives. Wasn't it exciting when there were like three lives? Yes, yeah, good times. Okay? So, so there were... There, <clears throat> If you really wanted to beat the game, if you wanted to even get your name on those, those boards, you know, where it said like the top scores, if you wanted, if you wanted a chance at that, here, here's the two things. You had to be prepared to spend a lot, a lot of money in quarters or you needed your parents or somebody else to spend a lot, a lot of money and buy you your own home system so you could play it at home and play it over and over and over. Are you with me on this? And when you're a kid, you don't have your own money and you don't really have the ability to just generate quarters or generate a game console out of nowhere. You're helpless in this situation. If you want to be able to beat Mario Brothers, you're, you don't, there's no way you're going to be able to do that unless somebody gave you an unlimited supply of quarters or your own console and lots and lots of time to just practice. That's kind of what God does for us. Even if you're not a gamer, I hope this makes sense. It makes a lot of sense to us gamers, I think. Because here's what he does. He goes, you know what? I know you couldn't do this on your own, but here is all the quarters you'll ever need and all the time you need. Or here's your own console. He doesn't beat the game for us. Now it's up to us to sit there and play the game. How high do we get? What level do we beat? Whichever one we earn. That's how the spiritual disciplines work. Dallas Willard, the same guy who is always talking about it's not a good idea to preach the gospel of sin management, here's what he says. The single most obvious trait of those who profess Christ but do not grow into Christ's likeness is their refusal to take the reasonable and time-tested measures for spiritual growth. In other words, they don't practice prayer, meditation, all the other things that help us connect with God. One of the ones that I think is most effective for me personally, I'd like to share this with you, whenever I'm struggling with anger, when I'm struggling with human wrath boiling inside of me, It's just to ask the question, what is it that's making me this angry? I wish that Jonah would have spent some time asking that question. God himself actually asked Jonah that question. Jonah 4. If you remember, the way that story ends, is not a, it's not a good ending. He ends, Nineveh is saved. That's a cool part for Nineveh. But Jonah ends up sitting on top of a mountain, mad about it. And God asks him the question, why are you so upset? Why are you mad? You never hear his answer. You never hear what it is. But I, I would really encourage you, the next time you're super mad about something, to get alone And just ask yourself that question and also ask God that question. And have a piece of paper and a pen or something nearby and write down what happens. What is it about this that makes me so mad? Why is that thing the trigger? What is it? Just asking that question is gonna open some stuff up. But just pretending that it's okay, well, you know what? That just always makes me mad. That's not acceptable. We've got to break free. Matthew 5, these are the words of Jesus again. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And in that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. You are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Paul writes to the Ephesians, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. You see all of that beauty swirling around in there? He's already done this, so therefore do this. You couldn't have done this on your own, but now you can. So get on with it. Get rid of this stuff. You can because you have the Holy Spirit in you. Jesus already broke the power of sin and death. Romans 12, dear friends, never take revenge leave that to the righteous anger of god for the scriptures say i will take revenge i will pay them back says the lord don't let evil conquer you but conquer evil by doing good as always god's dream is not just that we stop doing something Jesus didn't just die on the cross so that we could be forgiven. And that's the end of the story. He died on the cross to break the power of sin. He rose again to break the power of death and give us a new life. He wants us to break free from sin, break free from the power of our sinful nature and break free systematically from all the habits of sin, all the wrong behaviors and thought patterns that that keep us trapped in sin even when we really are free. He wants to set us free from that so that we can be free to do the stuff that really matters. And the stuff that really matters on the other side of human wrath are patience and justice. Let's talk about what it means to focus on patience. The biblical idea of patience. you probably heard me say this several times. I hope you can almost recite this if you have. But if not, you're going to hear it several more times today and probably in the near future. This is really important. We tend to think of patience in, in America and other places around the world. We tend to think of patience as just not, not losing our temper. So if something really irritating's going on, oh man, we're just so irritated, but you going to be patient. You're going to be patient. Not going to lose it. Real biblical patience is so much more than that. It's choosing to wait for a specific reason and for a specific season. Patience is choosing to wait for a season for a reason. It's being in complete control of the situation. It's not saying, hold on, God give me strength. Okay, I'm not going to hurt them. I'm not going to hurt them. That's not patience. That's saying, you know what? This is God's business. I'm going to let God handle what kind of stuff happens to them. I'm going to do this instead. That's something I can actually control. James 1.19 says, understand this. My dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. Harsh words, we already looked at one passage that just straight up says, don't use foul or abusive language. That's not on the table for us as Christians either. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where somebody's angry at you, but somebody starts using foul language or abusive language, and man, doesn't that escalate things just instantly? I mean, it's just a word, but man, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's not okay, but sometimes the things that we use, to, the, the harsh words, I believe, aren't necessarily on a list of, you just can't say these naughty words. They're not so much those kind of words as they are just this stuff that stirs stuff up. Here's a little life hack for you today. I've shared this with several of you. I hope this is, this is familiar, but there's a guy named Chris Voss. He used to be the head of the FBI's negotiation team whenever there was like a big, big deal where they had to negotiate with somebody some terrorist or some random thing. I know they don't really negotiate. You know what I'm talking about. Trying to calm the situation down. Okay? This guy would go in. This is just a really simple thing that, that I've I found to be very effective. But he says that for some reason, the word why is really antagonistic. Whenever you say to anybody, why are you doing that? Even if you don't mean anything by it, if you're just literally asking the question, hey, why are you doing that? It sounds antagonistic. It makes them want to defend themselves. Well, because that's how I do it. That's why. What do you mean, why? Who are you to ask me why I'm doing it? This is how I do it. And, and, and there's no good reason for that, but that's really, that's, there, there's just something about that word. So he suggests instead, when you're asking somebody, why are you doing that? Instead say, what? What made you do that? So if somebody's angry at you, instead of saying, why are you so angry? Why are you yelling at me? Say, what is it that makes you so mad right now? What is it about what I just did that's, that's really tearing you up? Because maybe I could fix that. Completely different. Just a little life hack for you. Sometimes the things that are harsh words, sometimes the things that, are, uh, that escalate anger is not necessarily uh, a bad thing in and of itself. First Peter 4.8 says, Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers over a multitude of sins. Second thing that we can focus on when we're free from human wrath is justice. Justice is God actually making His will happen on earth or us making God's will happen on earth. And God is a very just God. Numbers 14, 18 says, The Lord is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion, Listen, but he does not excuse the guilty. He lays the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this this morning. We're kind of almost coming around the back corner. But these last couple minutes, I, I hope that you really grasp this. Because this is one of the things that's easiest to miss when we're trying to like not be wrathful, not be angry, fix our anger problems, when we're just focused on that, we miss something really, really important that God does in his wrath that sometimes, sometimes, sometimes he calls us into. And that's that sometimes the wrath, the reason there is anger, the reason we have that stuff is because it should well up inside of it like it's inside of us like it did in Jesus and give us the energy to fix that. Just a few chapters later in Numbers 25, there's a story of a man named Phineas. And at this point, God had commanded the Israelites not to intermarry with all the people around them because they were all worshiping idols. And the way they worshiped the idols were really vile things that they did to worship these idols. And so he was commanding them not to do that, but the Israelites were doing it anyway. And so God was punishing them. He was sending, He was killing, God was killing some of his people to punish them for the sin that they had done and so then they start getting scared and they start repenting you can read the whole chapter i I recommend that later they start repenting they start asking for help but in the middle of this come to jesus not come to jesus he hadn't been born yet but you know what i'm saying they're having this come to jesus moment and in the middle of this whole thing there's this guy that sneaks into his tent with one of the midianite women to do the stuff that they were doing to worship the idol and the stuff that was wrong that they were talking about. And this guy named Phinehas is standing there, and he sees this happening while they're dealing with this stuff, while they're repenting to God, and he goes, oh, no, no, no. And he gets his spear, and he walks into their tent, tears it open, and rams it through both of them and kills them. And God said, go Phinehas. Don't believe me, read Numbers 25. I'm not saying that God expects us to go out there and kill people. And notice that this is someone from Israel. This is someone who is basically picking a fight with God. They're right there. They're just spitting in God's face at this moment. And it's a different covenant. There's a lot. Here's what I hope you see in that story is sometimes God wants us to fix things that are wrong. Sometimes he wants us to be angry about some things, especially stuff in our own lives that need to be fixed, that need to change, and be so angry about it that we're going to do whatever it takes to get the job done. And a lot of times we're like, well, you know, I don't want to make waves. I don't want to cause any trouble. You know, I, sometime, you know, I just don't have enough self-control sometimes. You know, I give myself a break. Sometimes we need to fix it. This is what Jesus did several times. In Mark 3, when he healed a man on, a, on the Sabbath, he was basically picking a fight. He didn't have to heal that guy on the Sabbath. He did that kind of stuff a lot. And in John 2, I'm gonna put it on the screen. This is our last story for this morning. But what? listen, listen for all these things we're looking at this morning as I just read this really familiar story. Imagine Jesus doing this, but watch. Watch for the kind of wrath that God has, the kind of, that's intentional, It's strategic. It's under full control. It always results in things getting fixed, specific things being fixed. It's not losing it and waiting in uh, just crazy. It's very deliberate. Watch how Jesus does this. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. Do you know how long it takes to make a whip from ropes? This is not somebody just going, oh, that's it. You blankety blank, blanks, blanks. This is not somebody losing it. This is somebody going, all right, this ends today. You can bet something's welling up inside of him. But watch what he does. Look at the action he takes. There's no teeth getting knocked out. There's no swear words being thrown around. He drove out the sheep and cattle. He scattered the money changers' coins over the floor. He turned over their tables. And then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And they found out later as you read the rest of that passage that he was really talking about his own body, not that physical temple he was clearing out. You've heard this story before, right? That's Jesus. And again, I don't think that means that we can be angry people. I don't think that is at all what it is. But what you see here is Jesus taking action. When that anger welled up inside of him at the graveside of Lazarus, he brought the guy back to life. When he sees God's temple being violated and the people, the foreign people who were, that was the only part of the temple they could be in. They're being not only excluded, but they're also being cheated right there in God's house. He's like, no, this ends now. And he takes very strategic, very deliberate action and he fixes the problem. Maybe the problem for you this morning is being angry about something. Maybe you need to let it go. Maybe God is asking you this morning to start doing something. Maybe he's asking you to wait for something. Maybe he's asking you to take action on something. I don't know, but here's what I know about God. He's patient for a reason and for a season. Up until this moment, right now, God has been patient with you, not because he doesn't care about your sin or my sin, not because he just really doesn't care, not because he's patient in the human sense where he just goes, well, you know, just not going to get mad, not going to get mad, just going to hold it in and let them do their thing. He's patient for a reason and a season, and he's letting you have one more chance. One more chance, just a few more quarters, a few more half-hour segments to practice on that game. He's giving you just a little bit of time. But you know what? This morning, right now, you've got a chance to make a decision that could change things. You could choose if you need to make it public or it needs to stay private. Either one's fine with me, but I dare you to make, take the action that God's asking you to make. If you need to forgive somebody, this is the moment to forgive that person. Let it go. If if God's asking you to fix something, something broken, to break a bad habit, to fix a relationship, whatever it is, decide this morning to fix that. Don't make God keep waiting. Let that wrath roll up inside of you against the stuff that's breaking his heart and ruining your life and fix it. That concludes the Sunday Sermons podcast. You can respond to the invitation you just heard where you are right now. Don't waste this opportunity to change your life for the better. If you've made a decision or are interested in learning more, please visit us at morrisonhill.com.